Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of the Dan and Joe Sports Show. As always, I'm Dan. I'm Joe. Well, Joe, we had a very interesting uh, one game of championship weekend last week in the NFL. Uh, the Packers-Bucks game lived up to the billing. Not that you and I put out there because we thought it was going to be a beat down in the other direction. But that ended up being a fantastic football game. Meanwhile, the Chiefs stopped playing down to the level of their opponents and played probably their best game of the season. Uh, Joe, before we go and looking at uh, the Packers' uh, epic loss there and some of the questionable decision-making by Matt LaFleur at the end of that game, let's talk about the dominant performance that the Chiefs had. Um, you know, it was almost like the playoffs last year where they got off to that really slow start that looked like they were in danger of losing. And then all of a sudden it was like, you know, they woke up and almost got, uh, you know, some shockers to the chest and then just played out of their mind. No, that's exactly what happened. They were down nine to nothing early. And they had to miss extra point. And after that, for whatever reason, the Chiefs just kind of woke up. And the other thing about it is Patrick Mahomes got into such a great rhythm with um, Tyreek Hill and Travis Kelsey. It was like pitch and catch out there with Tyreek Hill. He threw for, or he, he finished with over, I think, 170 receiving yards. He and Kelsey both found the end zone maybe multiple times. And Mahomes just had a very steady, efficient game, no turnovers. And on the flip side, you saw the Bills play a very inefficient passing game with Josh Allen. He had at least 20 incompletions, threw an interception. But the big issue, I thought, with the Bills' offense is that they had injuries on the running to the running game. They were without Zach Moss, and Singletary didn't have a great game. And so kind of uh, thrust into, uh, you know, the, the role of the number one running back was ironically Josh Allen, who had to kind of carry the load. And I think he's a good runner at times in the red zone, but he's not a guy that needs to, you know, run 12 to 15 times. I just think that's too much for him. He's more of a passer. And uh, all those factors and just how well Kansas City played, that was just too much for Buffalo. Well, Joe, what, what I found even more impressive is you talked about the rhythm that uh, Mahomes had with Tyreek Hill and with Travis Kelsey. I was really impressed with Mecole Hardman in that game. Uh, he showed a lot of mental fortitude. He has that dropped point uh, or dropped kickoff at the very beginning of the game, right after the Bills have kicked a field goal drops the ball at like the one-yard line. The Bills score an immediate touchdown. And after that, Nicole Hardman gets the first two touchdowns of the game for the Chiefs, including one where he doesn't end it around and he goes 80 yards and just blitzes everybody. I mean, just outpaces them like a cheetah. And it was just a really impressive showing for me for some guy that's like, okay, I made a mistake. I'm about to make up for it and then some. No, absolutely. And you're know, speaking of speed with Hardman and Tyreek Hill. I want—I don't want to get too far off topic, but I saw a mock draft board yesterday, and it actually had uh, the Chiefs selecting the second or third round Elijah Moore at wide receiver. Ooh. So I just can't imagine what it would be like to add another element of speed in the slot with Hill, Moore, and Hardman, and that'd just be scary. That would be an awesome pickup for them. He would be so good in their offense. Mm-hmm. And, and I do think, you know, if I had to nitpick the Chiefs' offense, I do think it would be good if they had one more wide receiver. Like, they have good receivers, but they could use some more depth. 
I do worry about them sometimes kind of over-utilizing Hill and Kelsey. Yeah, I would agree with that. And, you know, to be honest, like, more would be a good addition. You almost kind of wish, if you were the Chiefs, that you could get one more really solid possession receiver. I mean, you have yeah. Kelsey, who's your tight end. You don't have someone like a Michael Thomas that's your possession guy. You throw it to him for the six-yard pass just to catch it and be down outside of Hill, outside of having Kelsey. And that would be something they could, they could use. Yes, no, absolutely. Because I, I just get a little bit worried about overutilizing these players in the skill position. It's kind of like in baseball when you talk about like overutilizing like a good relief pitcher in extra innings. Like you, know, you can't use them every day. You got to kind of think about how often you use them. And when I look at like the Buccaneers who the Chiefs are going to play, I feel like they have more weapons and they don't just rely on one or two guys. Right? He's got like you know five or six guys he can throw the ball to. You know, with the emergence of guys like Scotty Miller. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I think the the Bucks have more options at the receiver position than what the the Chiefs do. Uh, the Chiefs definitely focus on Kelsey and Hill more than anything else. Uh, they use Hardeman a little bit, but not quite as much as they should. And Sammy Watkins has been hurt a lot. Meanwhile, you look at the Bucks. Uh, they have Antonio Brown. Of course, they have uh, they have Evans. Uh, now suddenly Scotty Miller's there doing a good job, and then they have Godwin too. Yeah, so they're they're loaded down with a lot of talent. Um, and you know the biggest takeaway that I, I have from the Chiefs game though is just how well they played both on the offensive side and on the defensive side when they got pushed a little bit, and then on the other side how the Bills just didn't like they were ready to be there, and especially at the end of that game. I mean that was shameful the way the Bills were playing just taking cheap shots at, at Mahomes and different players because they were frustrated. I was really disappointed in them at the end of that game. Yeah, all season long, they've been kind of this happy-to-go-lucky, fun-loving team that was just kind of an inspirational to people. The Bills Mafia and everything, people were talking about their fan base. and You kind of hated to see the narrative in um, some ways uh, drastically altered by how the, um, the game ended. Yeah, I mean, you'd have thought that their, their team was full of Mississippi State players the way they played at the end of that game. Certainly looking for it. <laughs> um, switching off of that, uh, you know, the other game, uh, the Packers and, of course, the Bucs. Um, this was an interesting game to me, Joe, because the Bucs came out playing fantastic football, uh, forced a lot of turnovers. But then Green Bay started getting back into it, and, I mean, there was no doubt that the play of the game was that really bold decision to go for the 40-yard touchdown pass to Scotty Miller when if he doesn't catch that, I think time probably runs out or maybe there's one second left and it would have been a very long field goal. But I couldn't believe the Packers bit on that and Scotty Miller was wide open and Brady put it right on a dime. And suddenly, instead of being, I think at that time it was 14-12, to 12, so instead of being 17-12 to 12 or going to the half 14-12, to 12, Pack uh, the Bucks get up twenty-one to twelve, and I think that play made the difference in the game. It made coming back so much harder in the second half for the Packers when they weren't playing their best offensive game. No, certainly. And you think about it: if that falls incomplete and you take that kind of shot, then that's probably the difference in the game because it was only a five-point margin at the final whistle. And so, you know, you take away that touchdown, that's that's the difference. So it's amazing how that came back, you know, to help the Buccaneers. Just my, my, a couple of takeaways from that game. You know, I was impressed with how well the Buccaneers' offense played. But I was also surprised when I 
look back at the box score, that Tom Brady was able to throw three interceptions on the road at Lambeau, where hardly anybody you know would, you would think would win in that kind of weather, and still win the game against Aaron Rodgers. I mean, I'm just kind of dumbfounded when I kind of compare those statistics, and they're just kind of contradictory. You know, 280, three touchdowns, but three interceptions. And he's usually a low interception guy. I mean, he set the record a couple of years ago for best uh, TD to interception ratio in NFL history, like 28 to 2. And he threw more in that game than he did that entire season a couple of years ago. So, you know, the Buccaneers won that game. Um, as a Saints fan, that kind of frustrates me because I kind of wonder, you know, could the Saints have done pretty well there? I, I don't know. I, mean, I don't think Breeze would have had those kind of numbers, but the Saints do have a great defense and running games. So who knows? So I think that was the frustrating factor is that the Saints, maybe they could be in that situation. But going to the Green Bay side, you know, Aaron Rodgers is now, I think, one in four in NFC Championship game appearances. And this was his first chance at home to host an NFC Championship game. I don't think he played a bad game, Dan. Uh, one of the stories I looked at was just how big, how the Buccaneers got the early lead. And so the Packers had to just play catch up the entire game. And then the Packers just had no semblance of a running game. They just couldn't run the football. Well, Joe, I mean, you say he didn't play a bad game, but he was not on his A game. I look at one series in particular. When they got down, I think they were down 14 to nothing. The first time that the Packers had the ball and were about to score, you had a possession where they got inside the five-yard line. And Devontae Adams was kind of open in the back of the end zone, but he wasn't the best option. And Alan Lazard, there was nobody within 20 feet of him, and all Rodgers had to do was just dump it off to him for an easy touchdown. And instead, he tries to throw it to Devontae Adams, and there's a second behind. Like, when, when Adams is about to turn in his break, that was an easy touchdown. But instead, Rodgers throws it a little bit behind him, and Adams can't get the feet in, and they have to settle for a field goal. And it wasn't a bad quarterback play, but for someone like Aaron Rodgers, I was blown away that he missed that. That's not a, that's not a play that you see in this, seeing somebody either he would have thrown the perfect pass to Adams or he should have seen Lazard and dumped it off. And that kind of like summed up his game for me that day. It wasn't that it was bad. It's just that he was not hitting those those good plays that he generally does. Yeah, and that was kind of you know weird how, how that kind of happened. You know, I, I don't know if there's something to just that Tom Brady factor being on the other side. You almost wonder, you know, anybody else. You kind of feel like Aaron Rodgers probably outduels that quarterback and wins the game against seemingly any other NFC opponent or maybe any other opponent outside of Patrick Mahomes in the NFL. Um, so it's kind of uh, crazy, and, and I can't help but think when I look at both Breeze and Aaron Rodgers, who uh, Tom Brady had to go through to get to the Super Bowl. It's weird to me how they're totally, two totally different players, but for whatever reason, they just had a horrible playoff success, playoff luck. Like, uh, I know they both have a Super Bowl, so you can't say they're the most unlucky in the world, but you feel like they should both have two or three rings at least, and they, neither one of them has made it to a Super Bowl now in a decade. Well, Joe, I mean, let's talk about someone that's from pretty close to where both of us are from, and who played football in your city of Hattiesburg, who I would say has had kind of similar careers to Aaron Rodgers and uh, Drew Brees, and you look at it. I mean, hey, Brett Favre won his Super Bowl, what, when he was 28? Like he won it, he won it in 1996. 
And then lost that next year when he took on the Broncos and never got back there again. And that's someone that didn't have a whole lot of success. I guess he's made it to one more Super Bowl than Breeze and uh, than, than Breeze and Rogers has. But that's somebody that, you know, considered by some the best quarterback of all time, top five quarterback. And he's only got the one and he had a lot of a lot of losses with a lot of really good teams. And a lot of heartbreaking losses too. Yeah. Like that, that's kind of if you look at the trifecta of those three guys. I mean, really, it's hard. It'd be hard to find three quarterbacks that could have you know harsher stories about heartbreaking losses. I mean, when you think about the Breeze injured, you know, the last three years prior to this season, even before that earlier in the playoffs, and Aaron Rodgers, you know, losing uh, close playoff games like the overtime uh, loss to Seattle a few years ago in the NFC Championship game, for one example, and and then uh, you look at Brett Favre losing to the Saints in the NFC Championship game, losing to the Giants in the NFC Championship game. I mean, just so many of them. We go on and do a whole show on, on the tough losses for those three quarterbacks. But, you know, we talk about the unlucky. Let's talk for a second about the luckiest maybe just about anybody. Of course, Eli Manning would be big different. Um, you look at Tom Brady now going to his 10th Super Bowl. I mean, what, what does this do, Dan, for his career taking the Bucks to the Super Bowl? Uh, it just shows that he is a completely different man outside of Belichick and that, you know, of course, Belichick is a fantastic coach, but that it's not all him, that Brady made a significant uh, impact on that and that he's so good that you can put him with just about any franchise and he has a chance to bring to the Super Bowl. And not only that, Joe – it shows his ability to assemble talent because a lot of the guys they brought in, that's because Brady reached out to him. He got Gronk to come in. He got Antonio Brown to come in. I mean, he helped them assemble talent. And I think another thing that it shows about Brady is his leadership as a player and maybe as a possible head coach. I mean, if you were a team a couple years from now at any level and Brady approached you about being your head coach, wouldn't you consider it based on the kind of success he has and the way people follow him? I mean, you certainly have to consider it. Um, and he's almost like a player coach now, you know, being 43 years old and he's seen it all. You know, you, you got to think that, you know, Bruce Arians has said on record that he's letting him, you know, really be so active in, you know, the game playing. And then I think that's one thing that Tom Brady's enjoyed that he didn't get to be quite as hands on in New England. I think he had to kind of, you know, just follow the, the lead of the coaching staff in New England. Here he's a little bit more hands-on working with the players and kind of taking on that, that mentorship to a degree. You know, he's taken a, a Tampa Bay team in just less than a year. Well, think about that. He was not even a member of this team until he signed in March. They have a truncated training camp, no preseason. That's kind of learn on the fly. And you had a team that was, granted, very talented with offensive weapons. But they had never won anything before. Like, this franchise did not want a playoff game in 18 years. So these guys did not know how to win. And he taught them kind of how to win and had just such a quick turnaround. And I feel like, Dan, I know we'll probably talk more about this next week prior to the Super Bowl, but I feel like if Tom Brady gets that seventh ring, and who knows, you know, he may play another couple more years, we can't rule out this team going to another Super Bowl completely. But if he beats Patrick Mahomes in a Super Bowl head-to-head to give himself seven rings, I just don't think there'd be anything Patrick Mahomes could ever do to overtake him. 
That's going to be hard. I mean, when you're talking about he would have to go out and win seven more rings to overtake Tom Brady, I mean, it just seems unfathomable. And, Joe, I heard an interesting stat. So this is going to be, I believe, the 50th Super Bowl ever. Uh, you're going to have Tom Brady will have been in a fifth of all Super Bowls that have ever been played. I mean, that's how ingrained this guy is and how often he's there. As we're talking about not a percentage that's in the, you know, the fives to the fours percent of how many Super Bowls. We're talking about he's at 20 percent of all Super Bowls he's been involved with as a player. I mean, that is an unbelievable stat. There's no way anyone's ever going to replicate. Oh, no, it's crazy. I, I want to say I saw another stat that blew me away like that where since Tom Brady's been, I think, in 10 Super Bowls in 21 years, mm-hmm. he has a higher percentage of number of years that he goes to the Super Bowl. Like It's more likely Tom Brady's going to the Super Bowl every year than Steph Curry makes a three-point basket. <laughs> That's amazing. I mean, so maybe he should play one more season and go to the Super Bowl just so he can say that in half of my 22 NFL seasons, I went to the Super Bowl. I mean, I mean, I wouldn't rule it out. I mean, he said before he wants to play to 45. I mean, I wouldn't really not play to 47 or something like that. I mean, he really could have a very impressive four- or five-year run with the Buccaneers because the thing about it is he's uh, kind of revitalized his career and become more youthful in many ways because he's surrounded by so many 20-year-old guys. That's true. I mean, he's actually surrounded by more talented receivers, really top to bottom, than he ever had at New England. So that might be something for him to think about. Uh, I'm just like, I, in my mind, all I can think about was Adam Vinatieri with his white beard out there still kicking field goals. I'd like to see that with, with Tom Brady. Because I think what Adam Vinatieri made it to like 48 or 49 before he finally retired. Yeah. That's right. That's right. Of course, the, you know, I think it was Julio Franco for the Braves, you know, that made it like to 49. He's like one of the oldest athletes I can remember in the major professional sports. You remember, if you remember him? Yeah, I remember Julio Franco because I mean, I think he was like from a country where they didn't keep uh, keep tabs of how old he was very much. So he like lied about his age to get in. I think he was uh, he was actually older than he said he was. And so, yeah. Yeah. Um, but, but, Joe, going back to the, this game, uh, you talk about Tom Brady's three interceptions. He did it on back-to-back-to-back possessions. There were three possessions in a row where he threw interceptions. And the biggest stat of this game was the fact that I think the Packers only scored a touchdown on that very first possession and didn't get any more points out of it. When you're talking about Brady giving you three gifts and you only cash in once, you're not going to win. I mean, that was a lot, of, a lot of gifts that were given out with not a lot of returns from the Packers. No, that, that was a huge storyline. They were not able to capitalize. You have to capitalize. I and mean, that's what the Saints failed to do against the Buccaneers the week before them. And two, you know, red zone opportunities in the first quarter, first half, settled for field goals on both occasions. And, you know, the, the Packers, the same thing. And that's just surprising for Aaron Rodgers. I mean, everything was set up for Aaron Rodgers to perform well in this game. Um, it, you know, we were, we were, I think I mentioned at one point that, the media wanted the State Farm Super Bowl with Mahomes and Aaron Rodgers. And I mean, Rodgers uh, had an MVP season this year. Everything looked great. And then now that they've lost, suddenly, Dan, even though they had such a good season, those questions are starting to creep back about, you know, will he be back for the team next year? Will he go somewhere else? Will Jordan Love take over? I'm even starting to read rumblings that. You know, a potential suitor for him could be somewhere like the Los Angeles Rams could be a fit. 
Hmm. Wow. That would be quite a story right there with how great their defense is to go out and get Tom uh, to go out and get Aaron Rodgers. That would be quite a quite a football team. It's simple there. But uh, also, I've also read the Saints are not somebody to, to rule out for that too. Oh man, I would lose my mind if we got Aaron Rodgers. I'd be so happy. Um, but Joe, speaking of Aaron Rodgers being a little bit disgruntled at times with the Packers organization, you know, we talk about the fact they've never gone out and got that number one wide receiver. They don't go out and they don't draft in the first round. You're not going to see uh, Devontae Smith become a Packer in the offseason because they don't do that. And they've never helped uh, They've never helped Aaron Rodgers out in that regard. Then they go out and they draft Jordan Love in the first round last year and just slap him in the face. And now, Joe, let's go to this game. Uh, you're two and a half minutes left. It's Let's start with the third and goal play. I don't know why Rodgers didn't run it there. I was, I was watching that play, and I, I don't know that he scores a touchdown, but you got to think that he at least gets to the one-yard line before somebody tackles him there. And that was another one of those questionable decisions that I thought he was making. And so I'm wondering, it's almost like maybe he was told that if they didn't score a touchdown, that they were going to kick the field goal. Because I don't know why he didn't go for that play. Yeah, that was there when everybody was debating with Matt before. He said, I don't know. I mean, you, you look back at the game, you know, um, it made a huge difference with the final score. Um, and, you know, questioning LaFleur's, you know, coaching tendencies and decision-making, you know, all the, the last two years since they, um, you know, moved on from uh, the previous uh, coaching staff, um, I kept thinking with Mike McCarthy, mm -hmm. I kept thinking that one thing that Aaron Rodgers liked about um, LaFleur as a head coach is that, you know, it'd be, hard, it'd be uh, kind of a different dynamic than Mike McCarthy. Like Mike McCarthy was the head coach when Aaron Rodgers was kind of coming up as a young player and even when Brett Favre was there. And so you got to feel like there's a little bit more of, a, of an authority over Aaron Rodgers. But with LaFleur, I always felt like Aaron Rodgers kind of tell him what to do, more or less, kind of dictate things. And so you kind of wonder sometimes who's really making the decisions on plays like that. Yeah, and so, okay, on that play, he doesn't do it. Now we go to fourth and eight, and they kick the field goal, which I, I could not believe they did that because you got arguably the best quarterback in the NFL, at least one of the top three or four in Aaron Rodgers. You have a chance to score a touchdown, get a two-point conversion, and tie it, and you kick a field goal with two and a half minutes left. And so what you're basically saying is to your defense is you can't let them get a single first down. And by the way, even if they don't, you're still going to only have a minute and 45 seconds and you still have to score a touchdown. I mean, that was a completely you know, asinine decision to me. There was no way you can justify that to me. If they had gotten the two-point conversion earlier and they were only down by a field goal, it would maybe make sense. But even with that time, I would still say you go for it. So I don't understand – how Matt LaFleur can justify that decision he had to keep the field goal right there. Yeah, it's really tough for him. And it, it kind of goes back to what I was talking about a few moments ago, that you kind of feel like there's a chance that this that game, you know, could be the end of kind of that current era in Green Bay. And we may see some wholesale changes uh, to some degree. Yeah, I mean, I think maybe so. You know, one thing we fault the Saints about is that they give Drew Brees too much credit. They always leave him in. They let him do kind of whatever he wants. And on the reverse, it seems like the Packers don't give Aaron Rodgers enough to do what he wants to do. 
So there must be some kind of way in the middle to to meet and get what you need to for your quarterback. There's got to be something. Yeah, but hey, if that if this works out to where Aaron Rodgers becomes a Saint, then I'm very happy to kick that field goal on fourth and goal. Yeah, I mean, I think it'd be a perfect marriage. I mean, you get the Saints, you know what they need. You have that quarterback and throw the deep ball, and Aaron Rodgers would have like the weapons around him and the support system and the, the coaching staff that he's been wanting. That's right, Joe. Well, you know, very impressed with Tom Brady. He broke up the the State Farm Bowl. Can you imagine how many commercials they probably had to nix from that Super Bowl that they had already like collected together with Aaron Rodgers and Patrick Mahomes talking about playing each other in the Super Bowl? I'm sure they probably had like four or five little commercials lined up that now are not going to be worth anything. Oh yeah, I'm sure they had to, to make have kind of an extreme makeover on that um, cosmetically and, and kind of regroup kind of their strategy. Yeah, Tom Brady crashed that party, and, and you think about. How, how impressive it was that Brady was able to make a run to the Super Bowl through the wild card round. Mm-hmm. You know, it's the, it's the five seed having to win three straight road games. And I'll be, I, I recognize that in 2020, 2021, winning road games is not as difficult as it was, you know, last year and previous years with the huge crowd noise and everything. Like that's certainly a factor. But at the same time, to be able to win three games, you have to travel where you have to play, you know, opponents that with the Saints and Packers, I think they were probably better teams than the Buccaneers. Um, fundamentally, Buccaneers were able to win both of those tests. I mean, that, that, that to me, that just, you just can't say enough about um, how it just takes Tom Brady's career to just another level. No, it really does. And what's kind of interesting, Joe, is you think about it, like let's say that the Bucs were to win the Super Bowl – it would almost be like Tom Brady making amends for the 2007 Super Bowl where the Giants beat them, where the Giants beat the Pac- the Patriots team that were undefeated and about to be the greatest team in the history of the NFL. People aren't putting the Chiefs in that category. People do think the Chiefs are a program that won the Super Bowl last year, that this year pretty much was way better than everybody else they played and never just played their best football. And so if he can take the team – that has to go through all the rounds, went on the road the whole time, and win the Super Bowl against the favorite, it would, like I said, almost be like making amends for his Patriots team that was 18-0 and just couldn't get it done against a Giants team that had nowhere near the talent they had, especially not the offense they had. Yeah, I think so, Dan. I think I think that it's not too far-fetched to say that it's one of the biggest stories in sports history in making it to the Super Bowl with the Buccaneers in year one, when you think about his status as an all-time great player, and also when you think about the breakup of the Patriots and Belichick and Brady and how the Patriots struggled this year with the 7-9 and nine season, and for Brady to catapult the Bucks, to me that just, it, it just drastically changes the perception of Brady and then also how we look back on the Brady-Belichick era. It does. I mean, suddenly Belichick doesn't look as quite as great of a coach, and Brady was already the GOAT. Now he's, like, cemented his status as the GOAT. There's no questions. There's no, like, looking back in retrospect saying, well, now that we've seen what Tiger's done in the last 15 years, maybe Jack Nicholas was the better golfer. There's no debate now. There's Is it Tom Brady or is it Tom Brady? He's got it. Mm-hmm. And uh, with that being said, uh, we're going to – Speaking of the GOAT, 
our favorite segment, Locker Room Talks, about to come up. You catch us on the next segment. We're going to be talking about uh, Super Bowl halftime shows. Uh, you can catch all of our episodes on Spotify. Catch us every Wednesday night at 8 p.m. on Facebook Live. And as always, I'm Dan. Yeah, I'm Jeff.